going to go ahead and jump right into our message this morning. We're in week 10 of our James series, Learning and Living a Faith that Works. We're actually right on the home stretch. We're going to be wrapping it up in the next couple of weeks. We're actually in James 5. James 5 is the last chapter in James. And uh, we're actually going to be in James 5, verses 1 through 6 today. And so we're going to look at that and start reading that together. And then we're going to jump right into exactly what we're, what James is, has, uh, for God has for us to understand and learn today. So James chapter 5, verse number 1 starts like this. It says, look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Welcome to church. <clears throat> no. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eating eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth that you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. James probably did really well like at like library days telling stories, you know, for the kids. For listen, oh, excuse me, this corroded treasure you have hoarded for, will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers from whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of, heavenlies, of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Now, this is one of the reasons why I kind of enjoy going through a book and going through sections of it because quite honestly you're not going to hear James 5 verses 1 through 6 taught on probably any other way but this is scripture this is canon this is what God has given us and we have to learn from it and have to see so let's pray father we love you and we thank you and father as we look at this thing these words that you have you have spoken through James father I pray that you give us an understanding and wisdom help us to see exactly what you want us to see and learn in Jesus name amen and of course we have to remember our theme our theme for this for this whole book is quite simply James 1 4b and again I think we're getting to the point, hopefully, where you've got this memorized, that you may be perfect, mature, and complete, lacking in nothing. So let's jump right in here and let's start talking about James 5, verses 1 through 6. Now, this may age me a little bit, but I think you all know I'm, I'm older. Um, but how many of you remember the television show? It used to be on Friday nights. I think it was actually before TGIF. You remember TGIF? Yeah? Thank you. Someone does. Okay, good. I, I think it was actually on before that. But it was a television show called Perfect Strangers. You remember Perfect Strangers? Yeah, yeah. I remember watching Perfect Strangers as a kid. And, and, and let me give you kind of a ballpark. I don't remember exactly all of it. But basically there was this guy and he lived in Chicago. And basically he had a, a relative or a cousin that lived in a strange land that didn't really exist. And he came to live in Chicago with him. And it was the story of this strange relationship that they had. And, and I remember it, there was a guy, and his name was Larry, and I, I can't remember the other guy's name, the, the guy from the strange land. I think his name was Balky. Balky, yeah. And I remember as a kid, he would always say, Cousin Larry, Cousin Larry. And I thought the guy's name was Larry. You know, I, I didn't understand that he had an accent, and he was trying to say Larry and Cousin. And so I remember this, this, this show would be on, and, and Larry was kind of, a, kind of a proud guy and kind of thinking he knew everything all the time. And so he sometimes would look at Balky, and he would say something like this. He'd say, Balky? Watch and learn. And Balky was not dumb. I mean, he understood a little bit of what was going on. And he would always try to stop Larry. Because he saw like something bad was going to happen. And Larry would just say, no, 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 Balky. Watch and learn. 
And that would be the theme. And he would watch and learn, watch and learn, watch and learn. And then something would fall on Larry's head. And Balky would use, and, and Larry would say, why didn't you tell me that, that I just stepped on a landmine or something like that? And Balky's response was always the same. He basically said, I was too busy watching and learning. Really, as James gets into this section, what we want to do, what I believe God is showing us, is this understanding of watching and learning. Because here's the thing, as we look at this section of scripture, as, we, as I studied it this week and as I was looking through it, a lot of theologians do not believe that this was written towards Christians. James goes in and out of writing to the church and then writing about other people that are outside of the church. And in this section of scripture, he is actually speaking to those who do not know Jesus. He is doing this to help us in the church watch and learn what they are doing so that we can learn from it. The last thing we're going to be talking about this morning is this understanding of what we can actually learn from the rich. What we can actually understand from what they're talking about. We'll get that at the end. The first thing we need to do is we need to look at what James says and basically define this. Who are the rich that James is writing about? Look at James 5 verse number 1. It quite simply says, look here you rich people. Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Who is the rich? Who, are, who is James actually writing about? Basically, let's kind of unpack this a little bit to figure out who these people are. These are people, according to James, that do not know Jesus. These are wealthy landowners that are basically causing a lot of problems. And basically, we're going to get a little bit more into depth of some of the things they're doing in just a minute. So I don't want to get there quite yet. But basically, these are the rich people that are basically taking advantage of the people that are under them. Okay? We see this a lot in a story that Jesus tells basically in Matthew the 20th chapter, and some of you will remember this story. It's not up here, and it's not in your notes. But in Matthew 20, Jesus tells a story about a wealthy landowner who goes out and he begins to hire people to work in his fields. And basically he goes and he says, if you'll work for me, starting in the very early part of the day, I'll give you a certain amount. Let's say uh, $10. And he begins to hire people throughout the day and he gives them all the same money. And basically it's a story about generosity. In this story, we have the same kind of idea. These guys would go out and they would hire people to work in their fields and to do certain things. And basically, these people are taking advantage of them. Okay? Now, you have to understand something. Okay? What James here is talking about is not talking about money as far as being rich as the problem. That's not what he's discussing here. He's looking at these people and he's beginning to understand, wanting you understand that the issue here is not the money, it's the way they are taking advantage of people. It's not the situation where you're looking at it and you're going, hey, this is a problem. This is an issue. As far as basically the fact that they have money, it's what they're doing with it and how they are acting because of it. Jesus talks a little bit about this in Luke's chapter 16. In Luke 16, he's actually speaking to the Pharisees. He says, the Pharisees... And you see this, it's very interesting, because Luke basically gives you a little bit of um, an understanding of who they are. He says, who loved money, heard all of this, and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, and this is Jesus speaking, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But check this out. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. It's detestable in God's sight. In, in, in Ecclesiastics, we see this. As we jump ahead, we look and we see, there it is. 510a, the first part of it says, whoever loves money never has enough. 
Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. What we're beginning to see here is we're, we're beginning to see that the money not, is not necessarily the problem. Having stuff isn't necessarily the problem. And then we finish it off basically with 1 Timothy. And now we really begin to see this, and this is from Paul, and we're beginning to see what the real issue is and what this, this, this problem is. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and uh, pierced themselves with many Sorrows. What we're talking about, the rich that James is talking about, is not someone that you can justify being this way because of how much money they have in their bank account. It's justified by the way they treat people and the love of money. Look what he says here. He says, the love of money is the root. The love of money. Because you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. And so the love of money here is the problem. And the problem is, if you've got bad roots, you're going to have bad fruit. You're not going to have good roots and bad fruit. And you're not going to have the other way around. It doesn't work that way. The roots and what the roots are doing will indicate what's up top. And so if there's this love of money, if there's this desire to have and the desire to get and the desire that more and more and more and more and more is there, then the root system is not good. And so the fruit will be not good. So you got to understand here, James is not condemning those that have. If that was the case, let's just be honest, if we understand the world and how it works, we're all in trouble. Because I don't think anybody walked to church today. I don't think anybody lives in a cardboard box. If you do, you need to come talk to us. We will help you. You know what I'm saying? We all, when you really think about our world today, are very rich. We have amazing... Listen, listen, this is, I've seen you guys before. You didn't wear those clothes last week. I don't think. <laughs> Might have. But here's the thing. Even if he did, he's got more in his closet. You get what I'm saying here? So here, the problem here is not necessarily the money. It's the love of money. The next thing we move on to is James. He looks at is what is the final outcome of worldly wealth? What is the final outcome? Look at James 5, 2, and 3a. It basically says this. It says, it says your wealth is rotting away. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. Quite simply, quite easily, let's just look at it. Just go right through it. What happens to wealth? Wealth, it rots. Simply, wealth rots. Next, clothes, eaten. Your clothes are eaten. Gold and silver, corroded. All the stuff that we love to get. That's what happens to it. Eventually. And you may say, well, I take really good care of my stuff. Good for you. That's still what's going to happen eventually. It's all going to have that. All the stuff that you are trying to accumulate. All the things that you're saying, oh, if I could just have this. That's what's going to happen. I mean, here's the thing. In about a couple weeks, 
They're going to have this big, big show thing. And a guy is going to walk out with glasses and he's going to hold this device up. It's going to have a real pretty screen and it's going to, you know, check your email. It's going to, it's, listen, these things actually make phone calls, you know. You could talk to people and it'll probably shoot lasers and do all these amazing things. And everyone will go, oh, must have new shiny thing. Must have, must have, must. It, it, it's, there's gold and silver and it's going to corrode. It's going to break. Oh, and the next year, there's going to be even a better one. Again, having the stuff isn't wrong. It's what you're doing with it that becomes a problem. It becomes a problem when it becomes who you love instead of our Father. But it all is going to go that way. It's all going to go that direction. Next. What are, what are, the, what are the rich guilty of? What is the big problem here? What have they done wrong? Look at James 5, the second part of of part 3 and verse 6. It says, This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cry of the field workers you have cheated out of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your evil desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. What are they guilty of? What is the problem here? Let's just go through it. First, they're hoarding. They're hoarding. They're taking everything for themselves. They're not sharing it. They're, they're, it's, 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 it's mine. It's mine. It belongs to me. One of the things that we're helping our son understand is this concept of sharing. And that that's a good thing. That doesn't come natural for us. We want it to be mine. We want to grab a hold and don't let go. And that's what they were doing. Next, they were cheating. They were basically, as I looked more deeply into this, basically what they were doing is they were saying, hey, listen, you come work in my fields, I'll pay you five bucks. And then they weren't paying them. Or they paid them two bucks. Or they were basically saying, listen, I'm not going to pay you now. I'm going to hold on to my money so I get more interest in it. And I'll pay you in about two weeks. Now, That doesn't seem like, oh, well, okay, that's not so bad. The problem is, is those people needed that money today to buy bread to live. And so they cheated them. They cheated them. And they had the money. They just wanted more money. Next, gluttony. They go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. What do you mean gluttony? I looked up gluttony and I looked at the definition. And this is what it says. It says greedy or excessive indulgence. Every desire they were getting. Everything they wanted, they were getting. They were taking it. It was theirs. And then finally, condemning and killing. You know what I found? Is when you're hoarding, cheating, and, and, and excessive, eventually it's going to lead to condemning and killing. And, and because, because it'll never be enough. And you go, well, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen anybody kill it. I'm not talking about necessarily physical killing. I'm talking about character assassination. I'm talking about internal killing. I'm saying killing with our words and condemning. Because we do that. We do that a lot. We don't have to necessarily be rich to do some of these things. When you really look at it, the rich are guilty on how they treat people. Not being rich. I skipped this in, in, in the first 
point because I thought it would fit better here after I took some time. I got my notes to Linda and, and I decided after they'd already been made up and things like that, I just wanted to be here. And so this is going to fill in your notes under point one, but you need to understand this as we kind of bring all this section to a close. The rich that James is writing about are not people that possess wealth, okay, but people that are possessed by their wealth. It's not the people that possess wealth. It's people that are possessed by their wealth. That's who James is writing about. That is who James wants us to understand and see. And what's interesting about this is as we see in this, this is interesting. I want you to catch this. James is actually writing to people that are outside of the church in this section. Why? Why is James writing to these people and basically the the people in the church and basically they aren't thinking that this is something that is towards them. I really believe this as I was praying about this this week. I was like, God, why? I don't understand. I really believe as James wrote this, he thought there was no possible way a follower of Christ would do these things. It was not a situation where, well, everybody that is in the church is poor. We know that Jesus had people that followed him that were very wealthy. James would have known that. James is, is Jesus' half-brother, guys. He understood that. But he looked at these things and said, there's no way a follower of Christ could be possessed by their wealth. Wow. Now, do we do these things? Do I do these things? I know I do at times. And this is, again, James's swift, sweet reprimand where he says, listen, Listen, this is not what a Christ follower should be doing. This is not how a Christ follower should act. So because of that, what can we learn? Again, Cousin Larry, what can we learn? As we look at the final point, what can we learn from the mistakes of the rich? What can we learn from the mistakes of the rich? Number one, number one, if we obtain wealth, we must do it in a God-honoring way. If we obtain wealth, we must do it in a God-honoring way. Let's look at Proverbs, the 13th chapter. In Proverbs 13, this is from the Amplified Version. And I liked how this said this. It said, wealth obtained by fraud dwindles. But he who gathers gradually by, and you see this amplified, honest labor will increase his riches. Listen, again, it's not a problem to be wealthy. It's a problem when we let it control us. We, we have to understand that we can do those things in a God-honoring way. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, a couple of things you need to remember, okay? No matter what you do in our world, no matter whatever you may be good at or whatever job that you have, God has given you the gifts, the talent, the knowledge, the wisdom to do those things. Without him, you have nothing. So he is the one that is producing these things in you. We can do those things honestly with hard work in a right way to bring honor to God's name, not our own. Okay? Not our own. So we have to understand that. If we obtain wealth, we must do it in a God-honoring way. Number two, wealth should be a byproduct of our lives, not the goal. It should be the byproduct of our lives, not the goal. Look at Matthew 6. 
This is something that we always need to understand and something that we always need to get into our heads because this is about priorities and it's about getting the first thing first and letting God take care of the rest. It says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Seek God first. Know God first. Make sure the first thing stays the first thing. And you know what? That is so much harder than it sounds. It really is. Listen, if God blesses you and pours out financial blessing on you, great, awesome, that's great. But that shouldn't be the goal. The goal is to honor God. The goal is to seek his face. The goal is to be knowing him. Because remember what happens to all your stuff anyway. It's all going away anyway. You know? I mean, you've heard the phrase, you can't take it with you. You're not going to. All the stuff that you worked so hard to get is either going to the government or somebody else. And then eventually, it's going to all be gone. That's how it works. That's how it works. So we seek God first. We seek what matters and what is lasting and what is eternal first. And then when we do that, God takes care of the rest. That's awesome. Now, I want you to think about what God just promised you here. He basically has said, if you will just focus on me, if you will just seek me and do your best to live a righteous life, I got everything else. Look here, I, I wish I had one of those laser pointers that you, you know, can make cats go crazy with. And I wish I could go underline over and over and circle and that word, everything you need. God is saying not some of the stuff you need. He's not saying some of the stuff you want. He's saying everything you need, I got. Listen, if you're living your life with stress, and I know this is hard, we all do it, okay, but I do too. Why? Why? He's got everything you need. And he's promised he'll give it to you if you just seek his face. That, listen, think about the deal we have just been offered here. God is the worst deal maker in the history of the world. We come and bring all our sin and all our guilt and all our shame, and he brings us sonship and forgiveness and grace. We, we, we follow him. He takes care of everything else. I mean, how many of you have always thought about, boy, how great would it be if somewhere I had, like, you know, we see all these stories all the time, like girls really like them. It's like, like somewhere, it, it's Cinderella story. It's a Cinderella syndrome. That yes, I may be working under a wicked stepmother somewhere, but I have a fairy godmother who's going to take me and whisk me off to the ball. I remember when I was doing a youth pastor, I think really early on, they had the Princess Diaries, I think the movie was. And it was basically, this girl was really a princess. And really, she didn't really know who she was. You realize, okay, you realize why those stories hit a chord with people, right? Do, do you understand? It, it's because there's something deep inside of us that basically knows we are greater than who we are because of who our parents are. Okay, listen, Hollywood steals ideas from God all the time. I'm serious. All the time. We just don't see it. But this concept that our father is a king is taken straight from scripture. And it drives us. It's, it's something deep inside of us that wells up. 
Because we know that he will take care of everything else. And the final thing, and this is important, we must live as conduits of God's resources, not as containers. We must live as conduits, not as containers. Let's look real quickly at Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the fruit, first fruits of all you produce. Okay? Now, you've got to understand here, this is a promise. This is one of those things where God says, you do this. I'll do this. I love these because I'm simple-minded. I need it broken down, okay? And so basically God says, listen, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to keep it like really weird or strange. You're not going to use, you're not going to need a really deep theology book to understand this. Just here it is. And this is what he says. If you will honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, what's wealth? Anything you got is wealth. Got it? Anything you got. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce, okay? Now, what's that? That's basically giving God the best of your time, your talents, and your treasures, okay? The T, the T, the T. If you will do that, here's what God will do. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. What a beautiful word. Plenty. Not barely enough, not just skimming by. If I said I had plenty of something, your mind would go to not barely morsels on the table. You would be going, wow, he had quite a spread for Thanksgiving. We had plenty. I love that word. And your vat will be bursting with wine. Meaning there's not enough to contain it. There's so much that God is going to pour out that it will burst. Now, what does that mean? What? Think about this for a second. You got plenty and bursting wine. Bursting barrels or vats of wine. Check this out. Follow me on this. It means that God has so much to give to you and to pour out in your life. Not just financially, guys, you understand that, but in all areas that it is so much that he's got no problem with waste. Because what happens if the wine gets on the ground? It's wasted. God's like, I got plenty. Remember the story where Jesus turns the water into wine? How much he made? There's no way they could have drunk all that. He has plenty for us. But we have to understand to be a conduit, not a container. And usually what we do is we are a container. And we like to be containers for lots of different reasons. And what happens is we get our little container and we hold it out and God fills up our container. And you know what we usually do? The first thing we do when God fills up our container, I can't let any of it spill out. I gotta. <laughs> and then we do this. So, uh, how you doing, Nathan? Good? Yeah. My container. God gave that to me. Yeah. You know, he loves me. So, uh, you know, you, you want to see? Sure. Yeah, you want to see? You, you look with your eyes, not with your hands, sir. Come on. <laughs> Seriously? It's clear, okay? And we put the lid on it, and we hold it so close. And not only that, but we love to show it off. Look what God has done. Look, look. Here's, here's the problem with this, okay? When we put the lid on it, nothing else can get in. This is not plenty and bursting. This is contained and controlled. This is mine. This is what God has done for me. And I'm going to show you. 
but it limits God. It puts a limit. Now, here's the thing about God. God is not going to grab your container, rip it open, and give you more. You put the lid on it, that's all he give you. But you are missing out on what God has. You are missing out on the blessings. Now, please understand, I know that we've been talking about money here, but we're going to expand this right now. Okay? Because, listen, I went to a hospital yesterday. And it was for a joyous occasion. But I have gone to there for many other, many other times when it has not been so joyous. You are here. You are healthy. You are breathing. That is a blessing from our Father. We put our lid on it. See, this is, this is mine. You see, God never intended for this to be the way we live. God intended for us to be a conduit. He intended for us not to grab it and hoard it. We tend to do that, though. I know I've talked about this before, but it's just too perfect. I'm going to have to do it again. I remember as a kid seeing a show, and I'm going to make it real brief, but a man is given something very precious. It's a little music box. And when it's open, it's playing music, and everybody gets excited. But when he closes it, it's silent. And there's a moment in that movie where the, the angel that, that gives this to him speaks to him and says, you were never, it was never be designed, it was never designed to be hoarded. You see, this is not the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live as a conduit. We're supposed to live where things flow from our Father through us and out to people. You see, God desires not just to bless you, but to bless others. But if you stick it and you put it in a container, if you close up one end, things happen that are not pleasant. We see this every, I, I, every time I look at a map. I th- I, when I, I see this, I think about this, about the Dead Sea. Why is it called the Dead Sea? There's no outlet. In our lives, when we plug up the blessings of our Father, things die in us and others. You were never intended to live your life this way. God has always looked at us and said, you are a conduit of my love. You are a conduit of my grace. You are a conduit of my forgiveness. You are a conduit of every blessing that I give you. The question is quite simple. Are you living it like this or are you living it like that? Because you know what? Quite honestly, we talked about this. If the worship team wants to come up, this is living in fear. This is living in fear. This is basically saying, I have to hold on to this because I don't know if my dad will ever give me more. This is understanding that it's a flow. This is understanding that my dad will give me everything that I need. I don't have to hold on to it. Why? Because he's got more. Because I'm going to be bursting and I'll have plenty. I don't have to grab a hold of it. I don't have to hold on to it so tight and look at people and say, no, you can't have this. But you know what? Here's the problem. This is measurable. Two cups. Two cups. And as Christians, God forgive us, we love to walk around and we love to do this. I have two cups. How much do you have? Oh, a tablespoon. Oh, you must have sinned. You must be doing something wrong because you only have a tablespoon. I have two cups. And it's a superiority thing. God forgive us. You see, the problem with this, you have no idea how much is flown through and out. It's not measurable. But here's the thing, I promise you, the, th- the stuff that flows through here is so much greater than what can be contained in here. So what's your life like? 
What can we learn from a story that, quite honestly, when I looked at it, I'm just going to be honest, I went, how am I, what, what am I going to talk about? How is this, how is this all going to work? I had to study. I was like, what, what, I had to use different sources because I'm going, God, what, what, this isn't even written to the church. And it was like, I remember all of a sudden, all popped in my head was, was Cousin Laddie. Watch and learn. Because obviously, the first things we should never be. Sometimes we are. When we are, we ask forgiveness and we let God change us and we move on. But the thing I want to leave you with more than anything this morning, the thing that I want you to come to me in years from now and remember, is not me walking around like a crazy person. It's not this or that. I I, I want you to remember this. I want you to say, I remember when you held up a little rubber-made container and basically a little pipe that holds glow sticks. What is your life like? Because you know what? They're going to be one or the other. And and, and let's be honest, sometimes we're containers, sometimes we're this. I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's a constant conduit. But, but here's the thing. I want to be as much like this as I possibly can. Because you know what? Here's the bottom line. If I took food and I put stuff and I put it in here and I left it, eventually it would rot. No matter how I put it in the refrigerator, I put it in the freezer, at some point it would rot. There's a lot of things, let's just be honest in our lives that God has given us that we could channel to others and channel to things and instead we've put them in our containers and they begin to rot. You open up your refrigerator of your life and you go, oh my goodness. When people meet you and they find out you're a Christian, do they open up the the refrigerator of your life and go, that stinks so bad I don't want to be around it. Why? Because there's dead things. There's stuff that was never meant for this that got put there with a lid on it. And it all goes back to everything that God is doing this morning. You see, the bottom line is this. People who understand who they are in Christ, they live this way because they know their Father has enough. They know their Father's got them. They know their Father loves them people that are afraid and that are slaves to fear put stuff in their containers, put their lid on it, and hold them tight. Which are you? Can we just be honest? Which are you? Look, since I'm the one with the microphone, I'm probably not this enough. I sometimes forget that my father's got me. Now, you have to understand, this is not saying that we shouldn't be wise with the resources that God gives us. It does not mean that basically anybody that walks up to us and says, can I have $100? We said, sure. We are as harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. Please don't misunderstand that. But there's a big difference between being wise with the resources God has given us and being a hoarder and holding it in. Things die. Can we do something as we close? Can you just close your eyes? Again, not anything super spiritual about that, but just so we can focus. 
just so that we can truly let God speak to us. John's going to come with joy, and they're going to lead us in a worship song to close in just a minute. But let's just be honest. Which are you? Okay? Between you and God, not between you and your spouse. None, you know, don't, don't, none of this nudging stuff, you know. Between you and your Father, are you a conduit? Are you a container? Which are you? If you had to put a percentage on it, maybe that's a better way. Maybe is it 50-50? Is it 75-25? Where is it? Because my belief is that what God really wants to do is change us to make us more like Him. And He's a conduit. He is constantly pouring out. And he asks his kids to do the same. So if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to be followers of him, we're going to be givers. One of the things, our cultural things, is we are generous because he has been so generous with us. That's not there by accident. We have been given so much, folks. We have so many opportunities to bless those around us, to love on those around us, to share our time with those around us. Don't, don't be, don't be small-minded here and just think this is about money because it's not. This is much bigger. So with all the things that God has given you, with all the stuff that he's done, is it a container or is it a conduit? Which is it? Father, we love you. And Father, we need you. Father, you want to bless others through us. You want us to be the mode of transportation, if that, if that makes sense, to, to, to bring those things to others. Father, we see that even in the Old Testament. You, you chose the Jewish people. You chose the Israelites not so they could hoard it, not so they could feel superior, but so that through them every nation on earth would be blessed. But you know what? Quite honestly, they put it in their container. They, they split up and they said, nope, we're the special ones. You're not. Look what we have of God. You don't. And you know what? It died and it stunk. And we don't want to make the same mistake. We want to learn from the mistakes of others so that we can glorify our Father in heaven. And so, Father, everything, everything you've given us is yours anyway. Everything that you give, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. Everyone, every single one, it's yours. And so, Father, I pray that we would stop holding on to things so tightly, that we would begin to release, whether it be money, time, whether it be um, relationships or, or, or fear, whatever, that we would just, those things, we would just let them flow through us and out of us. Because, Father, quite honestly, if we go to the water illustration, we live in a dry and thirsty land that needs for some conduits to turn on some water and pour out. So, Father, I pray that as individuals, we would stop putting it in a container and we'd start letting it flow through us to those that need it. You're so good. We love you so much. Let's all stand.